So that's starting next Sunday. Looking forward to starting that series with you called Dangerous Prayers, and uh, it's going to be a great time. Our guest preacher today is uh, Reverend John Twitchell, and John is from the Nazarene Foundation. And uh, John is, uh, well, I, you know, I spent uh, had dinner with him last night and realized that, man, we got a lot in common. He pastored um, in Maine for a uh, good 13 years, and um, I was pretty cool. John, I remember actually the church that I went to the first time, Saco, Saco, Maine. And um, I was telling him when I was a when I was a kid growing up in Boston, we were a, we were a pagan family. We didn't go to church anywhere, and the only time I went to church is when I, we went to visit my grandmother who lived in Sanford, Maine, and there was a church in Saco, Maine called the Saco Church of the Nazarene. Now, this is how God works, because I had no idea who God was. I had no idea what the church was. I had no idea what the Church of a Nazarene was, okay? So we go up there, and the only place that we go to hear the, uh, that I ever heard the gospel, I remember receiving a New Testament when I got to the church for the first time, didn't have any idea what it was, didn't read it, didn't matter to me at that point, but um, um, we would go to the Saco Church of a Nazarene and, uh, a couple of times a year, by the, when I was a kid, you know, and then later on, you know, my father dies, we moved to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and the Church of Nazarene, the Emmanuel Church of Nazarene, Wareham, Massachusetts, reaches my family with the gospel through Vacation Bible School. My mother gets saved, my brother gets saved, my brothers and sisters start going to church, and then years, a few years later, because I live in a foster home, I was invited to that church, and I got saved, amen? So God had been working in my life long before I ever knew it. And guess what? He's working in your life long before you ever knew it. And he's drawing you to himself. And then you want to hear a cool story? John, John and I went to the same college, Eastern Nazarene College together. I was assigned a roommate after going in the military, came back in January term, signed a roommate. My roommate was, his name was Pete Migner, and he was from the Saco Church of the Nazarene. Now catch this. When my dad died, when my dad died, we didn't have a pastor. My grandmother invited her pastor to come down from Saco, Maine, and to do my father's funeral in Boston. And then years later, I meet Pete, Pete and I found out that Pete, Here's the good news of Jesus Christ, and he became a Christian through the man who did my father's funeral, who was the pastor at the Saco Church. See how God works? When you look back upon the Lord, he does amazing, amazing things. Great to have John here. John, come and uh, share God's word with us. He's with the Nazarene Foundation, and uh, he travels around the globe now, actually around the country, or at least the, the western part of the country, and uh, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and uh, helping us to see how the Lord can work in our lives. Welcome to the pulpit here at Olive Knowles. He's got Thank a little you, podium. Would you welcome John to Olive Knowles today? Well, you are such a wonderful and gracious group of people, and I feel like I am already at home with you. So thank you for the chance to be with you today. Uh, one of the best parts of what I get to do actually is traveling mostly up and down the West Coast, but visiting our churches of the Nazarene, seeing what churches just like you, Christ followers just like you, 
are doing to impact their world, their communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether we're providing meals and clothes for people in need, packing crisis care kits to be sent around the globe in times of crisis, churches that specialize in caring for orphans or foster care or reaching out to their community through Christian education, it's just wonderful to see how God assembles us, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our passions, in these local communities we call churches, and that God uses us to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not hard at all to to look at the world around us and see that there's lots of problems out there, right? We could talk about injustice, we could talk about education, we could talk about uh, dirty water in parts of the world or poverty, we could talk about addictions, human trafficking, The list goes on and on. But I am glad to be part of a church. Should I change or do something different? I don't mind just holding that if that's okay. Go back? Okay, we'll go back. If it happens again, I'll switch it over. How's that? Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be part of a church that doesn't just kind of hang our heads and wring our hands in despair at the problems in the world around us, but we are part of a church. You are part of a global church that gets down in the trenches. We, We get busy. We help solve problems, whether we're caring for refugees, digging wells, sponsoring children, providing recovery services for the addicted, or helping people escape the dark underworld of human slavery. And you know, when you give each week, Pastor, you're right, we're, we're paying the bills, and we're glad to hear the bills are paid. Uh, but when you give each week, you're, you're sponsoring kids in Africa. You're providing clean water for children in India. You're rescuing people from human trafficking all over the world, and you're doing all of it in the name of Jesus And for people you may never meet, names you will never know in places you will never have the opportunity to go because of what you do week in and week out here at Olive Knolls, lives are being impacted for Jesus all over the globe. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your faithful attendance. Thank you for your generosity. And thank you for your service in this local community. Because Nazarenes have always believed this kind of holy optimism that when we come together according to God's purposes, we can actually make a difference. We actually believe that God desires to use us to make a difference in the world around us. So before I say anything else today, please hear me say, Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, Just a couple kind of brief housekeeping things, and then we're going to get into God's word today. Uh, I do serve your foundation. We specialize in planned giving, gifts that don't fit in the offering plate. We help people with wills and trusts and kind of getting started on those important pieces. Uh, I have a resource table upstairs in the gathering area. I will hang out there between services as long as I am able to to answer questions or put materials in your hands. We also have an 1145 luncheon today. 
I think even if you didn't sign up, you should feel, yes, if, even if you didn't sign up and you decide you want to come back at 11.45, I'm going to share a little bit about wills, trusts, powers of attorney, all the exciting things that we need to talk about, uh, but it will be important for you if you don't have those things or you just want to refresh your knowledge, come and join us at 11.45, uh, free lunch if nothing else, so we want to invite you to that. And then after that, I'm going to hang around as long as I can this afternoon uh, for appointments. I know I've got one or two lined up already, but there's a sign-up sheet on that table. If you'd like to take my card or meet with me one-on-one, that's what I'm here to do. Uh, It's just a free service we provide to provide consultation and pastoral conversations. So that's my housekeeping piece. I know you've been in a sermon series on foolishness and the fools of Proverbs, and you've talked about the simple, the silly, the sensual, the scornful, and the steadfast fools. I couldn't come up with another S word this morning, Uh, but today we're going to talk about, your Bible might call him the rich fool, or I kind of prefer to call him the forgetful fool, or sometimes I just call it the parable of the forgetful farmer. So I don't necessarily mean to tie into our sermon series, but it seemed like an appropriate thing to do. There's one other type of foolishness. Jesus talks about the forgetful fool. We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning, verses 13 to 21, uh, and we're going to talk about this forgetful farmer. Have you ever been forgetful? Yep. Yep. Someone's name? I uh, I forgot Cedric's name this morning, and uh, it was hugely embarrassing. I just called him something else altogether, and then I felt just hugely embarrassed that I'd forgotten Cedric's name. It happens to me all the time. Forget where you put your car keys, or why you went from one room into another room, And when you forget these things, don't you feel just a little bit foolish? But but worse than that, sometimes we forget the things we know to be true, and we make mistakes that don't come from bad intentions on our part, but we make mistakes that come from forgetting the life lessons we know, because we have forgotten. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus tells a story about a farmer who has forgotten. He has forgotten the problems in the world around him. He has forgotten where the blessings in his life have come from. And he has forgotten that Almighty God wants to partner with him to help solve those problems in the world. I'd like to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed, I got the wrong button, there we go. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he, that's Jesus, said to them, the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. 
Thanks be to God. I, uh, I spent seven years of my pastoral ministry back in Maine. I wasn't at the Saco Church of the Nazarene. I was about 20 minutes away at the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. But for seven of those years, I was also, I served the local funeral homes in funeral home chaplaincy. And uh, that might seem like a strange calling, uh, but during those seven years, I served about 50 to 60 families each year, meeting with the family, learning about their loved one, helping them put together a funeral service, and providing some pastoral care and some follow-up care. And you can probably make some guesses about this type of ministry. It was emotionally draining. But you might also imagine that it was, as a pastor, very fulfilling to represent the Good Shepherd, to be Jesus with hands and feet on, and to walk with families through deep and dark valleys, and to point them to the one who can be the comforter of their souls. You could probably make some other guesses about this kind of ministry. You might imagine I worked with all sorts of families, different levels of wealth and income, social status, education, even different flavors and levels of faith and faith commitments. I worked with families who were close-knit and got along really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I worked with families who wanted absolutely nothing to do with each other. I discovered quickly that funerals can bring out the very best in people, they also can bring out the very worst. And even as an outsider, I could usually tell when families were fighting. And uh, I bet if I count to three, you can all tell me in unison what it was they were fighting about. You ready to try this? One, two, three. Money. And uh, sometimes they fought about money even when there wasn't money to fight about. And what I discovered was the less there was, the more they fought about it. But I also came to learn something, and I came to believe that very often it was because they were forgetful. That very often they had forgotten the important things in life. They'd forgotten what mom and dad had taught them, or they'd forgotten the importance of family. They'd forgotten what it was like to have each other's back in the school lunch line when the bullies came to take money. They'd forgotten what it was like to go on vacation together. And, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes, if I could get them to tell stories, if I could get them to remember, if I could get them to dig into the memory banks and find the life lessons, I could help them begin those very first steps of reconciliation. I could help them begin to focus on what was really important. This is, by the way, the situation that Jesus faces in Luke chapter 12, right? At the beginning of that scripture passage tells us he was teaching a large crowd of people, thousands of people, and one guy shouts out, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. They're fighting about money, stuff. Now, our best guess, scholars think probably this is the case, that the reason they're fighting about money is actually because dad died uh, without giving, they would have called it a blessing, uh, and instructions on the distribution of the stuff. Uh, we would call it a will or a living trust or an estate plan. They didn't use those words back then. But in those days, if dad didn't give instructions over how things were be divided among his kids, uh, guess what happened? The oldest son 
got to make all the decisions and do whatever the oldest son thought was the right thing to do. So our best guess in this scenario is dad died without a a will, without giving a blessing to his family, and the oldest son has decided to just keep everything to himself, and the youngest son is saying, hey, where's my share? Where's my piece of the property? Where are my 20 cattle or or sheep or whatever it was that uh, he wanted uh, to have? So he wants Jesus to get involved in this family dispute. Now, uh, Pastor Kevin, I have, uh, I've told pastors this all over the place. I find it incredibly comforting that these brothers want Jesus to get involved in their family dispute, and he, uh, he just doesn't. He doesn't pick a side. You notice that? Uh, so by the way, don't ever come to your pastor and expect your pastor to pick a side in a family dispute, because he'll point to Luke chapter 12 and say, no, I'm going to be just like Jesus. Uh, instead of picking a side, Jesus teaches this little parable. He asks questions. He tries to get the sons to remember, to imagine. Jesus doesn't get involved in the dispute, but he recognizes that these two men may have forgotten the important things in life. So he tells a story to help this younger son remember and consider questions like these ones. Which is more important, our belongings or our relationships? Or should we be more concerned with running out of money or about running out of time to do the tasks that God has put before us? Or a question like this, is our life made up of our possessions or is it about being possessed by the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells a story about a man who's like us, who's like you and me. Oh, not because we're farmers, although probably some of you are. Not because we're rich, although perhaps some of you are. But because we are forgetful, which all of us are. We forget that we can trust God. We worry about running out of savings. We worry about not having enough. We worry about medical bills or leaving something to take care of our kids or running out. We, we worry, and when we worry, we stop trusting. And when we stop trusting, we start holding on more tightly to what we do have. We become inwardly focused, and we lose sight of what is truly important. Now, before we dig into this a little bit, I want to point something out. I want you to hear me say this. The problem is not that the man was rich. And I don't actually like the NIV heading and the common biblical heading here that calls it the parable of the rich fool. The problem is not that he was rich. There's lots of people with wealth in Scripture. There's lots of people even who, as a sign of God's blessing, are trusted to manage great amounts of wealth. The problem is not that he was a rich fool. The problem is he was a forgetful fool. The problem's not that he owned personal property. Scripture had all sorts of laws about ownership of personal property and land ownership. The problem is not that he was dishonest or unjust. There's no evidence he did anything wrong to get this windfall, this bumper crop of grain. The problem is not his wealth. It is his posture toward his wealth, his attitude toward his wealth. And Jesus makes that clear at the end where he reminds us that the man was storing up treasures for himself instead of being rich toward God. This is a man who forgot the storyline. He lost the plot, and he failed to remember that he was called to be a blessing to others. Anyway, our scripture text tells us we have this farmer, he has this windfall, this unexpected bumper crop, 
And it doesn't appear as though he did anything important or particular to earn this bonus. It wasn't because of his good works. It wasn't because he was a really smart farmer. It just seems that it was the case that was the product of a really good year. We have a really good year in the Central Valley this year. I don't know. Maybe we had too much water. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe too much water. It was the right combination of the right water, the right sun, the right soil, and it produced a bumper crop. And here's the first thing the farmer forgets. The farmer forgets that this windfall is an undeserved blessing from God. Now, I've got some scripture scholar in the room who's going to say, well, I don't read that explicitly in the text. It doesn't say he forgot it came from God. Well, okay, you're right. It doesn't. But listen to what Jesus, the words Jesus puts in the farmer's mouth. The farmer says, my ground, my crops, my barns, my grain. Four times Jesus puts that word my in the farmer's mouth. When Jesus repeats himself telling a parable, we probably ought to perk our ears up. And what Jesus is saying here is the farmer believes it's all his. There's no recognition that this was God's blessing in his life. There's no offering of thanksgiving for the abundance. There's no giving thanks back to God or sharing of the abundance. And my friends, this is the first lesson for us to remember. And I know you know this. I, I know you've heard it. I know you know it in your brain. But let me remind you of it again. The first lesson is this. It's not our stuff. It all belongs to God. All of it. Indeed, the very moment that we share together in worship or around a table of, of meal and fellowship, the breath we breathe, our bodies, our health, our savings, our homes, our families, they're all gifts from God. They're all on loan to us, entrusted to us for kingdom work. The question is, how will we use them during the time that God has put them in our hands, that God has trusted us to make good decisions for them? But for our forgetful farmer, the abundance has created a problem. I picture him laying asleep at night, or laying awake at night, trying to figure out what to do with all of this extra grain he's got. Now he's got too much. He has to decide what to do with the too much. I know, it's a problem we'd like to have, isn't it? <laughs> At least once, most of us, well, okay, never mind. At least once I have this little daydreaming prayer. It happens about once a year. Um, it's usually about the time when, do you have Vaughn's or Albertson's or Safeway up here? Uh-huh. It's that time of year when they decide it's time to play Monopoly. And my little daydreaming prayer goes a little bit like this. God, you know, there's lots of problems in the world. You can see it better than I can. Uh, but you know, there's lots of problems. And they're doing that monopoly thing at the grocery store. And I'm going to buy all the same stuff I would anyway. So it's not gambling. I'm just going to do my groceries. But I'll collect those little tags, God. And, you know, if you saw fit to give me Boardwalk and Park Place this year, there's a whole lot of good we could do, right? Anybody else ever have a prayer that goes a little like that? Am I the only one, really? Think you're just not honest about it. But here's my fear. I'm afraid that if in reality I were entrusted with Boardwalk and Park Place out of the blue, I might forget all the stuff that I thought I could do with it. I might forget all the promises I made or all the ways I thought I could solve problems. I might really just worry about it running out and try to figure out what to do to make it last instead of to make the most impact. Well, our forgetful farmer He's got all this grain, 
and he looks at the problem, and he now forgets the second thing. The second thing he forgets is this, that he could be part of making a difference in the world around him. Instead of caring for the field hands who planted and harvested the grain, instead of looking for people in poverty who could use the grain, instead of setting up a food bank, doing something generous with his windfall, he decides the only way to solve this problem is to tear down the barns and build even bigger barns just to make sure he doesn't run out, storing up treasure for himself instead of being rich toward God. Now, how does he get to the decision to build bigger barns? Well, I think we get to the big decisions in life by the way we practice the little decisions in life. And the third thing I think the farmer forgets, I think he forgets to seek godly counsel and advice. Now, again, I've got a Bible scholar in the room here who's going to look at the text and say, Pastor, I I don't actually see where it says he forgot to ask godly counsel or where it says he didn't go ask for counsel and advice. It just doesn't tell us he did. I suppose you're right. It doesn't say he went and called his rabbi or his pastor. It doesn't say that he didn't go talk to his family or his friends. But not only does it not say he did, it does say he talked to exactly one person. Did you catch it? He does it three times. He asks one person for advice. He does it three times. Does anybody know who the one person is? Himself. He says, self, what will I do? And then he says to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. And then just in case we haven't gotten the point, Jesus says it again. And then I will say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry the rest of your days. When Jesus repeats himself, we probably ought to perk up our ears and pay attention. And it would seem as though our farmer friend has isolated himself from others. He's forgotten to seek wise and godly counsel. Proverbs 28, 26 tells us those who trust in themselves are fools. And in Proverbs 15, 22, we read, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I'm going to meddle for just a moment. You know, our culture has taught us that affairs of money, what we make, what we have, those are private and personal, and we don't talk about it in polite company. That's not actually in the Bible anywhere. That's just kind of a U.S. cultural thing that, you know, our private, personal, financial affairs are our business and nobody else's. And so because of that, we sometimes have a hard time going and asking for advice, getting help when we have a question. And when we do, we often go find a secular advisor off the bat. We open Google or the Yellow Pages and go look for a lawyer or a finance advisor or or someone who can help us. And and they're important people, and we need them in the process. But let me encourage you, don't ever call a finance advisor or an attorney and say, what should I do? You're asking the should question to the wrong person when you do that. Where should we be asking the should question? At altars of prayer, at our bedside, on our knees, in a small group or a Sunday school class with accountable friends who speak into our lives, in a conversation with our pastor or a trusted mentor who can help us discern God's voice in our lives. The should question is one that's always directed heavenward. God, what should I do? And then once we have that, then we get the rest of the advisors into the mix and say, this is what God's asking me to do. How do I do it? What's the best way to do it? 
But the question of what we should do is one always answered in consultation with God through prayer, godly conversation, and godly counsel. Well, enough meddling. I I can't know for certain on this next one, but I think our forgetful farmer has forgotten the fourth thing. He's trusted his wealth so much that he has forgotten to be in relationship with others. Instead of living in relationship with family and friends and neighbors, it appears as though he is increasingly isolated and self-reliant. He would have made a good Mainer. Uh, Mainers are very self-reliant. We don't need any help. And, uh, but I think one of the lessons that we should learn from the forgetful farmer, Jesus wants us to value relationships over riches and to value people over possessions But our farmer is just squirreling away this food for himself so he can sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of his life. The problem is this. He's so worried about running out of stuff that he's forgotten about running out of something else. He's forgotten about running out of time. And this is the fifth thing the farmer forgets, that one day he's going to die. I had this conversation in the foyer this morning with someone. Mike, I think his name was. We said, we have a hard time talking about death. We know it in the back of our mind, but we don't want to move it to the front of the mind. We don't want to move it up here and talk about it and take action on it. And there's the farmer's problem. He knows he's going to die, but he's not taking action on it. And sometimes, because we don't want to talk about it, we put off doing the things we know we need to do because we don't want to name our own mortality. And yet, my friends, the last time I checked, except for a couple of notable exceptions like Enoch and Elijah and Jesus, the rest of us humans, we all have a 100% mortality rate, which I fully expect to continue until Jesus returns. And once the farmer's arrived at his self-determined solution, God shows up on the scenes. He points out the farmer's foolish forgetfulness, and God says to him, look, tonight, this night, Your very life will be demanded from you. And God poses the question that we all have to face. What then? What will happen to all of the stuff you have accumulated for yourself? And here is the sixth thing our farmer has forgotten. He has forgotten to have a plan for his stuff. A plan for his things that outlive his own life when he doesn't need it anymore. And he's forgotten that his stuff can be a blessing to others even after he's gone. In essence, God reminds the farmer and Jesus reminds the hearers of this parable and by extension, us. Our life is not our stuff. Our stuff is not our life. We are not defined by what we have or what we do. We are defined by who we are and more importantly, by whose we are. My friends, this is part of the mission of your foundation, the Nazarene Foundation, to help us remember things that we may have forgotten, to help us to have a plan so that we can answer the question, what will happen to all of the stuff that you have accumulated for yourself? The truth is this, in a room with this many people, I suspect there are a number of us who have forgotten to have a plan for our stuff. Ah, well, maybe we haven't forgotten it. It's back here in the back of our head somewhere. Most likely, we just keep putting it off. We don't like talking about it. But not talking about it, not thinking about it, doesn't change it one bit. 
Statistics tell us that somewhere between 54 and 67% of Americans don't have a will or an adequate estate plan for their stuff. You got that 60% of Americans. 60% of Americans who think that the state they live in can do a better job deciding what to do with their stuff than they can. Would you ponder that for just a moment? I mean, they wouldn't say it that way, but that's if effectively what they're saying when they don't have a plan is, well, I trust the state I live in to decide what to do with my stuff. 60% of Americans who trust the state to divvy up their assets. Probate courts are backlogged because of this. The state is not a good steward of our resources when we're gone. The state is not going to prayerfully ask God, what should I do with my stuff when I don't need it anymore? So if that's you, oh, don't feel ashamed because there's lots of us in that boat. But if that's you, we have some resources to help to help you begin the process of building your plan. And you can start a simple will or a simple living trust online through our website for free. Most people can get it done in an hour or less. If you have a simple estate, no complications, you can do it on your own. It will tell you what you need to do to make it legal. If you're a little more complicated or you have legal questions that a computer program can't answer, work through the process, print it out, and then go take it to your attorney and say, can you help me get this to the finish line? You can get started today at nazarenefoundation.org wills. And I have these little cards up at the table. They're square. You can just take one home. It's a reminder so that you don't forget. Our gift to you. But, you know, oh, by the way, it's August. Do you know what August is? August is make a will month. Did you know that? August is make a will month. So let's make it happen this month if that's you. And fundamentally, this is what we believe. It's good stewardship for you to prayerfully talk to God and decide what happens to your stuff when you don't need it anymore. And we believe it's bad stewardship to ask the state of California to do that for you. When you do, uh, you'll probably want to remember your family. You might want to remember some friends. Maybe a favorite charity or a nonprofit that you've supported in your lifetime, and you can get really excited and creative with all that. But before you do, I just have one ask for you today. Would you prayerfully consider leaving a gift to Olive Knowles as part of that plan? You know, you can be a part of helping Olive Knowles tell the next generation the praises of our Lord even after you're gone. You can be a part of helping Olive Knowles Christian School train and disciple and raise children in the Bakersfield community even after you're gone, by leaving a little something to help us tell the next generation the praises of the Lord. Well, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I'm the other 40%. My plans are all done. But you realize that you've forgotten to ask God to review your plans. You called a finance counselor. You called an attorney. You got it done. You asked them what you should do. Maybe you've forgotten to include all of Knowles in your plan and you'd like to. And that was Bob's story. I just want to share with you one story about Bob, and, and then I'll be done. But Bob came up to me a few years ago. It was at a church just like this one. He came up to me and said, Pastor, can we talk? I said, sure. He said, look, I'm 88 years old. I've got a will. I've got a living trust. It's all done. It's taken care of. My kids are all set. What he was saying was, I don't want to see an attorney again. He'd done that. He didn't want to tinker with the plan. He says, I'm 88 years old, but God's been talking to me over the last couple of months about leaving a gift to my church. 
and I really don't want to go see an attorney again and open up the whole plan. Is there a way I can leave a gift to my church without changing my will or changing my trust? So Bob and I talked, and uh, there's a little longer story here. I'm just going to tell you that Bob ended up creating a planned gift using one of our easiest tools called a charitable gift annuity. Bob made a gift of some stock that was highly appreciated. He bypassed some capital gains taxes on that. He deferred some capital gains over his lifetime. He, uh, the dividend income he used to get was $1,100 a year. His annuity gave him $3,300 a year, so we tripled his income. We gave him a charitable deduction because he created a planned gift. It saved him about $10,000 on his taxes. Bob bypassed capital gains. He got the tax deduction, he tripled his income, but that's not why I tell you Bob's story. Because that tool we use, that charitable gift annuity, was designed to leave a gift to Bob's church at the end of Bob's life. And we helped Bob be obedient to what God was laying on his heart to do without changing his will or his living trust. All those other benefits were wonderful, but the most part of that, important part of that story for me is that we helped Bob be obedient to what God had laid on his heart to do. In the 19 years of the foundation's existence, we have distributed over $109 million into ministry to local churches, global missions, compassionate ministry centers, registered evangelists, uh, districts, campgrounds, Christian schools, you name it. We've helped facilitate the gifts of God gener God's generous saints into the life of the church to the tune these days of about $10 million a year going out the door gifts that couldn't have been made in an offering plate or an offering box up back, but came through a planned gift through your foundation. They're miraculous gifts. Pastor, you said this morning that God is at work in our lives even before we know we need Him. And whenever the foundation helps make one of these gifts, and we write a check and we send it to a church, and I call a pastor and I can practically hear the tears streaming down that pastor's face as they say, you have no idea we needed this now and it showed up at just the right time. My friends, through the ministry of planned giving, God can use you to answer a prayer that hasn't even been prayed yet. And God can use you to partner with the church of the future to help us tell the next generation the praises of the Lord. Not one of us knows what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we know that God provides for the ministry of the church through God's generous saints, people just like you. So if you're already one of our foundation partners, please let me say thank you. Thank you for your careful planning and foresight into the future. And if you're not, my simple ask this morning is that you'd pray and talk to God about it. The possibility that God is calling you to invest in the future of Olive Knoll's church or Christian school through a planned or deferred gift. And we just want to help you be obedient to what God may lay on your heart. Our goal through all of this is to help God's people honor God in their planning. To not simply store up treasures for ourselves that will not last, but to be rich toward God. For Jesus says it just a few verses down the page. Where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, my friends, I don't think the farmer was a bad guy. He was a little foolish. He was a lot forgetful. And he was a lot like us, easily forgetting the things we know to be true. And if you heard something today that was a reminder of something you've forgotten, 
Can I encourage you to take action on it this week, this month, to take the steps to care for the things God's laid on your heart? The truth is, all of these things are far too easy for us to forget. Your spiritual legacy is far too important to leave to accident or to leave for another day. For like the forgetful farmer, not one of us is guaranteed another day. I want to thank you for listening to a sermon that I'm sure is a little bit different than Pastor Kevin. Um, If you're joining us for the first time this week or joining us online for the first time, please promise me you'll come back next week because I'll be gone and we'll be back to normal routine. Uh, But I want to leave you, before the worship team uh, leads us, I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul. He wrote them to the church in Corinth. If he'd known about the church in Bakersfield, he would have written them to you. I'm a a live wire this morning. I don't know. It's okay. If he'd known about the church at Olive Knowles, he would have written them to you. But since you excel in everything, and you guys are an excellent church, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Amen and amen. Would you stand with us as we worship?
what you've given us, Lord. We just give it right back to you. love you this morning. Thank you so much for hearing your word this morning. I pray that you would help us not to be like the forgetful farmer and realize that one day we didn't do some of the most important things we needed to do. So God, help us to take advantage of the opportunity today to, um, to take care of the things that are really important, the many blessings you've poured out upon us to be good stewards of it, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave today, stop by the table and see John. Also stop by the table and see the influencers and less. May the Lord bless you. Have a great day. If you're going to join us at 1145 for our luncheon, please let us know if you haven't signed up already. God bless.